0: Welcome to The Brilliant Podcast. This is episode 29, being recorded on March 26th. Perlman wrote of us, the civilized humans who animate Leviathan, the spirit shrivels up inside them. They become nearly empty shells. As the generations pass, the individuals within the cadavers' entrails become increasingly like the springs and wheels they operate, so much so that sometime later they will appear as nothing but springs and wheels. But they never become altogether reduced to automata. People never become altogether empty shells. A glimmer of life remains in the faceless NCs and Zeks, who seem more like springs and wheels than like human beings. They are potential human beings. These people and the life within them are the brilliant. You are the brilliant.
1: So this week we're kind of wrapping up. Um, You know, As we've said before, the idea of this episode is uh, we are going to have a theme, which is going to be media. Sort of why are we doing what we're doing. And we're going to talk about uh, a number of articles that sort of relate to the topic and obviously talk about our own perspective. But we probably are going to try to hit some other topics, too. What's funny about doing a podcast is, you, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in having a too tight of a table of contents. But, uh, but as a result, you know, you, you miss a lot of things. And, uh, and I'm sensitive to that. It's funny that media comes up, actually, this this week in on Anarchist News regarding the UK sabotage of a coal transport in the Yvonne Gorge in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, basically, about media and why to do media. Um, specifically, of course, it comes on the heels of people just insulting the podcast, The Unterrified, and The Unterrified attempting to defend themselves by sort of asserting that they're just trying to find like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but it is an interesting problem that, that on the one hand, media can, can't be said to be a success unless it uh, sort of touches the universe. And on the other hand, almost no self-respecting anarchist would dare create a project big enough to be defined as a success. And I, I feel like that's actually, for me, a really good introduction to, to talking about the media in other words that it's almost impossible to succeed and yet it has it, it it's sort of like everyone agrees that it needs to exist and it needs to sort of be something something major and something important
0: yeah i think it it you immediately end up washing up on the question well, what is the metric of success uh, it seems like there's some who would say that the success or the 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 goal of the media is only realized if you can point to person's x y and z who performed some sort of action as a result of being contacted and so then you end up with this strange sort of metric that says well the goal is to propagandize mm-hmm. the goal is to make people do things and when i was doing free radio and doing interviews whenever i interviewed someone who had been involved in a media project i would ask this sort of stock question that went like this, which is, okay, you and, you know, it it so happened that all these people that I was talking to were, were rejecting a sort of mass movement perspective, and I was saying, well, if so much of the media that has been produced is about managing a mass in some way or another, getting a mass to do something, and if you reject that idea, then how do you navigate this tension between doing something that has a sort of propaganda form and not Believing that mass movement, what is your metric of success? What is the goal? How do you navigate that tension? And I was asking this in large part because I was trying to figure out why I was doing media, which is really something that I had wandered into as a result of basically not feeling at all at home or at ease with doing activism. And I'm not sure that I've answered that question yet. Um, It so happens that uh, measurable effects on my life have actually looked like what the unterrified we're talking about, which is that I've met interesting people, and I, I've been pushed into doing other projects as a result of that, and uh, I don't know, I mean, what, what is the post-left media, or what is the, the Nihilist Media Project?
1: Well, <clears throat> before I answer uh, that stupid question, I, um, <laughs> I I do want to talk about uh, indie, indie media, um, because the origins of, of at least part of my involvement in uh, doing media has sort of follows the tr- the, the path of, of paying close attention to indie media um, in the 90s dick <laughs> in the 90s i'd I'd written some uh, <laughs> um, some zines and sort of had like gestured towards the universe but it basically was around uh well so so when indie media started their their goal was a sort of mass media model i mean it, definitely they they were interested in couching their project in radical politics um but you know after the flurry the initial flurry of the seattle moment which was the founding moment of indie media you know indie media really had a sort of peak of success and they probably had you know if you count all their different indie media sites you know i wouldn't be surprised if for years they had hundreds of thousands of hits a month Wow. Um, And so, they were attempting a a type of mass media model. the um, The real failure of indie media kind of had to do with the fact that uh, that because indie media was on its own publishing platform, they they wrote the software. Yeah, they they built indie media on software they wrote. That that software required specialists to be involved, and basically, in the mid two thousands, like two thousand five type era. There was a, a split that happened in the in the it explicitly happened in the Bay Area indie media, but of course the Bay Area Indie Media happened to have most of the programmers who wrote the software that they uh, that many, many indie medias were built on. This t- the timing was bad for them because, you know, at the same time that they had built the software, they had basically inspired a whole bunch of people in the open source world to build similar software. And so in that same time frame, it became a lot more plausible that an indie media could be built that didn't require this sort of centralized software that was run and regulated by the programmers of indie media. Um, I mention all this to, just to give some, some sort of context of like what anarchists were thinking about when it came to media projects, and indie media arguably was, is the most anarchist and successful media project. So on the one hand, there's sort of the software and the, and the fact that the software was decaying and good CMS were coming out in the open source world that, that arguably could have replaced um, uh, their software. On the other hand, again, the, the, the core of people who, who really were, were, were the core of the broad indie media project, they seemed to be like retiring around that time period. As a result, I would say that the general platform, the general thrust and success of indie media as a project started to fade and perhaps this is because at that point there were some indie medias that were like clearly like the ones you would go to indie Bay being one of them new york indie media being another one of them and um, so instead of feeling like local projects oh and, and the indie media US almost f- felt neglected by that point so there was a sort of way in which the web had grown up but indie media hadn't grown up with it and so some cultural values weren't reflected in indie media all this goes to say that and i'm sort of saying this out loud for the first time in the context of the show but i think that this provided a, an important opportunity for people to focus their media projects more tightly in other words indie media tried to be everything to everybody including newspapers and it sort of failed because there weren't enough bodies there weren't enough there there, there just wasn't enough energy to make everything happen for everybody
0: mm-hmm. So the next not enough people actually working on the project to do all those different things. Successfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. And and again, a, a lot of what happened when that programmers split happened w- with the uh, Bay Area Indie Media Project was those programmers left the project. Many of those people became quite inactive, and so that meant that this huge technical history and this whole te- what's uh, technical knowledge disappeared. So. Uh, you combine all that together, and, and, and I feel like what happened was that the, a new generation of radical media projects came into being that were tighter in focus. So obviously we talk a lot about anarchist news, but the really big difference between anarchist news and in, indie media is it's uh, anarchist news was never, like until recently, didn't have that sort of collective focus. Uh, one of the biggest dramas you would hear about indie media projects would be basically criticisms of the central bar, the the content from the central the, the central thread of the of the site. Um, you know, most of the activity in indie media always happened in, on sort of the sidebar, mm-hmm. the stories that are sort of scrolling by on the right hand side or whatever. And and the editors would manicure the the visible part of the website. They'd you know they'd add pictures, they'd choose wording. And that was, of course, seen as the highly visible part of the project. And it was much slower moving than the sidebar. Mm -hmm. So the action happened there. And
0: And the criticism was what, of the editorial line?
1: It could could be of that. It could be, why isn't my story the one being featured? Uh You know, it was mostly the editorial line is expressed by what's shown versus what's not shown. Um, And, of course, and, you know, this is a sort of running theme, uh, more and more people hated the comments uh, more and more people really considered, you know, like, like for instance, any story about Israel, uh, you know, would immediately uh, turn into this sort this of shit show. Whole, like
0: Elder Scrolls of Zion. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Everything, yeah. Uh, anyways,
1: so I, I, I kind of mention all of this just to sort of say that the my line on media has changed over the years, partially in response to paying so much attention to media. But my real start was participating in a Joda. Now, the problem is is the timing was really wrong. Um, Ajota, at one point, was the biggest uh, anarchist paper in the U.S., right. um, which is, isn't saying very much today, because there are no such things as big newspapers, and very right. few people have that as a project.
0: Whereas this one was on the newsstands, which was a major goal of the project at the time.
1: Right. The newsstand was a major part of the goal. And so the fact that Ajota could financially continue to maintain... An atmosphere where it published, you know, eight to ten thousand copies um, and sold on the newsstand. That, you know, that by by the editor, of course, that was considered a great success. Right. And when we got when we got it, it was very hard to justify four or five thousand copies. And by the time we were done, it it had turned into a thousand.
0: So I'm going to touch on my stupid question again and say: so a possible metric of success according to the editor of A Joda at the time, was to be on the newsstand and therefore have the potential of, for the, the non-anarchist, the person who's maybe never even thought about it, or only knows the word in a negative connotation, to encounter it and have that moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, obviously one definition of success is is, is getting, hands, getting copies into the hands of people who are unfamiliar with the ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. Which more crudely could be the metric could be making more anarchists yeah of course
1: of course and, and I don't think anybody is going to toss a potential anarchist away I mean no. but, I, but I think that the general thing around numbers is also a, de- a definition of success I mean another way to, to come at this is, is to say that that if we have models of media production and successful media production, one model was the newsstand model. And so I and I very much was part of watching a project start, or when we when we got it, say that it was a modest success in the newsstand, and and I basically felt that industry fall apart by way of sales sheets and and Jota's failure on the newsstand. Um, basically, we were sending copies to distributors who were not paying us.
0: Oh wow! For I'm consignment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the way that, that that industry works is so horrible. I just I I, I sort of never liked it, and and perhaps um, I was never a believer in in the the newsstand model. Um, but I wasn't there when it was a success, and so right. Right. okay. The other model, and you know, sort of the one that everyone uses as their way to talk about positive media projects, is the Crime Think model. You know, by and large, Crime Think has had. Um, three types of media production. they've had their books and and on the back of their books, you know, has been the fact that the, their first book sold so well, hundreds of thousands of copies, of copies or I think maybe between one and two hundred thousand. Um, that that allowed them to have a pool of income and so then they could produce free hand distributed periodicals and whatnot. And then finally, they they went to a subscription type model, Glossy, very, Rolling. very high pr- production uh, magazine called Rolling Thunder. So they've they've experimented with all kind of all three types and and you know what's clear about them is is that they've had a lot of success producing things and selling them on the one hand and, and largely that's because they they sell almost everything they do for dirt cheap prices um, and so they really know their audience and they know yeah and they've produced an awful lot of shit for free. Um, I guess to change everything, being their latest yeah. example, but but in the past they did a whole bunch of newsprint projects that um, that I think for a generation, a generation or two of anarchist people have definitely been the way that they've learned about anarchism. Um, but their but their version of success probably looks a lot more like getting copies into
0: hands. Right. And especially to young people who are mm-hmm. unfamiliar with the ideas, but maybe are starting to become socially dislocated just out of whatever experiences they've had.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, having that audience in mind has, I think, is a major key. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about anarchist projects, you know, you're not talking about competing with Murdoch. You're talking about competing with, um, yeah, which was brought up in this recent thread. You're talking about competing with. You know, I guess m- normal society. In other words, you're you're giving a counterpoint. You're not, yeah, you're not competing with the mainstream. You're 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 competing in general, like with the
0: whole concept of it. Yeah, I mean, I would say like, in the '90s you were competing with there were a lot of youth magazines, and I guess you were competing with those. But I don't even know how much of a thing those are now, as in mainstream. Yeah.
1: Magazine. Well, I mean, one argument that I think you could make about doing media projects in the 21st century is that to do them on paper is a strange thing to do. And you're kind of making a, a set of choices, value judgment type choices just by doing something on paper
0: mm-hmm. and audience
1: choices and audience choices. I mean, this, this is a, is a good time. any to bring up a new project that by the time this podcast comes out, you, you all have, uh, or, or people who pay attention to uh, anarchist projects will have seen. But uh, one of the things we've been working on in uh, sort of the back burner or or maybe on the D L or something is um, is basically a, a new concept of a web slash paper project that um, that answers a lot of these sort of questions, like why are you doing mm-hmm. um and, and the reason that I referred to your first questions is, is a stupid question is is because I I guess I I consider the subcategories of anarchism and sort of doubling down on those subcategories to be not a waste of time, but like something I only think is intelligent in small circles Mm
0: -hmm. well it's also very partisan um which is something that i i'm conscious of uh when i'm doing and and why and so it was a partisan way to phrase the question but what i was really trying to get at was that when i was first doing media and this is just tangent when i was first doing media i was very much saying like okay clearly i don't agree with the activist way of doing things and so what does it mean to do something that most of the time is very much about moving masses, right? And so if I'm not moving masses, why am I doing this? And, and so part of what I was doing with Free Radical Radio was, was doing a media project as an experiment at the same time as talking to people who had been doing them for a long time and trying to understand how they construed what they were doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess my assertion is that uh, I don't see media as being a mass format anymore, and partially right. that's once you, once you leave paper behind... And, and it's, especially if you just look at the size of most paper runs of any project, you're not talking about about a mass. I mean, you know, what is a mass? Is it a million? Is it a hundred million? You know? Yeah. Um, and and I think that any approach to anarchist propagandizing that, that isn't more nuanced than that, that doesn't involve smaller numbers, uh, more self-prescribed numbers, is wasting its time. Um, I mean, when you look at a lot of older... Sort of straight propaganda projects from, like like class war UK, and even Love and Rage to, to the extent to, to which that was their goal. I I just think that it feels like something out of like it feels like a socialist newspaper, right? And and so I guess clearly anarchism has a history in in socialism and so so we we should be able to recognize these things but what differentiates an anarchist project from what i would say the body of socialist projects today and i think that a lot of what <clears throat> what that differentiation is whereas a social a socialist project says this world is bad here's how we can fix it mm-hmm. i think that in general anarchist projects when they do that Sound as ridiculous as socialist projects do, and and so there's something about that, like that, like we're smarter than you, like that. That's a maybe central socialist critique. Mm-hmm. Like we know what's best for you. Here, here's what it is, mm-hmm. um, and that's and that's yeah, when the socialist papers, yeah, and that's when they're telling the truth. And most of the time they're not. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of the time they're 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 trying to get you in, involved in a front group that's whole premise is based on lies.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, so to to. to <laughs> Um, but, anyways, this is a good time to introduce this new project, right? Which is called the Blast. It's um, the hundred-year anniversary of the uh, original anarchist newspaper called the Blast. It also came out of the Bay Area. This project it originates in the Bay Area, also, and the idea is to basically produce an agitational newspaper, um, so to inspire activity um, for the entirety of Turtle Island. Turtle Island, being an, uh you know, other than being a sort of new new age way of talking about like where we live, um, is also a native description of uh, what we would call North America. And so, rather than sort of the clumsy thing of saying Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., um, we're using the term Turtle Island, which is accurate from a language we n- normally don't use. Um, Anyways, so the first issue will be out this month. It's short uh, and punchy. Hopefully people can read it in a sitting or so. Uh, have you read much of it?
0: I've read about half of it. Mm-hmm. It's short and punchy. Uh, it's uh, It's very interesting for me to engage with the newspaper format, which is not something that I'm used to. And so I like that aspect of it. And what I like about it in the discussions that we've been having is this idea of trying to to write something that can approach the first-time reader like mm-hmm. a, I like the idea of writing something that you know my mom could pick up and say oh okay and not necessarily agree but that it would be it would make sense that uh, at the very least you can imagine the perspective and so that was something that I think was guiding us in that and I would say in, in that sense it has been successful
1: mm-hmm yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, because, you know, in general, when, when I think about, like, our readership, Little Black Hearts readership, you know, I, I think about the them essentially being a snobby part of right. the Right. This
0: is very different from that.
1: It's really different. Yeah. We're, we're really trying it as hard as we've ever tried to do a mass uh, project. And mostly this is just... As an experiment to see if we're capable of doing it. I mean, that's the part that I'm the most interested in doing is sort of like, can I write in such a way that like, mm-hmm. you know, I can yeah. hand this to my neighbor and they,
0: they right. might read it. And like contrast that with something like the impossible patience. If I gave that to my mother, she'd just be like, I don't even know what else. <laughs> where to begin, where to begin or what is this even about or and so forth. And so,
1: yeah, the, the part of this that really is driving me is, is this idea of, of how do you. How do you infuse people with engaged anarchist content? And and I think that there's something there. And so so, in this case, we're talking about um, uh, media in 2016. So the fact that we're even talking about a paper is a little you know we don't exactly yeah we're not exactly like not exactly sure that's the best way to to reach people. Except the big point, and this is sort of Jason's point about the newsstand. Is the newspaper is the only way in you in which you are guaranteed to touch someone who would not otherwise never see your stuff, and that to me is compelling. There's something there that that's that feels like a bit of magic that's worth trying to you know trying to figure out how you, you cast your spell. The other part of the um, uh, of the Blast Project is to create a website that eventually becomes maybe not just a destination website but perhaps a homepage. Um, so so the, this new website is going to aggressively speak to mainstream topics, the exact same topics that you would read in your in your local newspaper or a salon.com sort of a, a context, and it's basically going to do that work from an anarchist perspective. And I think that, that part of the project, which is going to take some time and a lot more people to get involved with, um, that part of the project I think has a, has long legs um, because basically there have been some projects that have attempted to sort of talk about the news from an anarchist perspective, but mostly what they're doing is they're reposting stories that might appear in the New York Times that sort of like have anarchists interests. So, so almost the equivalent of, of human interest stories, but about anarchism and, and highlighting those stories to demonstrate that anarchists are humans. but whereas the blast assumes that anarchists are humans <laughs> and instead sort of says that we need to, to be interrogating
0: the headlines that actually as they, as they exist. Yeah, and so two challenges I, I guess three challenges that I see so far that are interesting and, and exciting. Are one how do you write the accessible paper that has radical content that isn't doing what you were mentioning before, as the socialists might do, mm-hmm. sort of pulling the person in and you know having the, some things behind the curtain that are slowly revealed, instead putting that out up front but still being approachable and accessible. The second challenge being in, as you said, twenty sixteen, having a both online and print. Um, aspects where the online one isn't dominating and 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 sort of overshadowing the the print one, but that they're doing different things, but hopefully cooperatively. And then three, what is the distribution model? How do you uh, uh, touch that person who has never encountered these things but is ready to do so?
1: Yeah, and that the third problem is is con- going to continue to be a a big problem because any distribution model that I can imagine involves. Either recruiting groups of you know blasters or something that that live in various places around the island, um, or you know, or basically sending them to the same old places that will have marginal success but not instantaneous success. But I but I think the the because we're committed to this project and and this project has a um, like there's no anarchist project of this type that's ever going to succeed out of the gate because, you know, we, we don't have a million dollars to spend on mm. a marketing budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we did, it would be terrifying because, you know, <laughs> because we're such a small group of people, you know, there's only like a dozen people who are even working on this as it, as it currently exists to really to really do what it is, all the the things, you know, really would take a, yeah. And so, so we replace money with, sweat yeah. and time and and we sort of talk about where we'd like to, certain things to 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 live, you know, in a year, in 5 years, in 10 years. Yeah. And and we hope that the project is interesting enough that we can maintain doing it. I mean, my my biggest concern after looking at the content of issue 1 is that the people who we know the best are not going to be that engaged or interested in this project
0: because of the the focus on accessibility. Well, uh, okay. The,
1: so there's two history pieces. Right. There's
0: a current events. piece. A, c- a couple. Cr- yeah. Um, a Critique of actions that are happening now.
1: Right, but it doesn't. It's not heavy on the critique. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's a piece that's on IWW uh, and Black Lives Matter in Minneapolis. Um, there's a piece on Rojava that's not so. It's it's an introductory piece. Um, we had originally ha- had other like more critical pieces in in the paper, uh, and they sort of fell through for uh, the classic author reasons. Um, uh, and 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 so there's there's this way in which like you know I think the pieces are solid, but they're definitely not speaking to our usual audience and. I think that that's always a danger in a media project. Um, I think that one of the great successes of Anarchist News was the way in which the com- the comments have become the content yeah, totally. of the site, and and in that way they have actually reflected someone. And so because because we don't want to create another Anarchist News, the comments on the website are going to be a lot more. It's going to, you're gonna have to register, which is going to, which is gonna shrink. Mm-hmm the comments are based right away. And so if you're, um, uh, so in that context, it's, it's, it's just not going to have that sort of firestorm effect, at least right out of the gate, until, you know, 100 people register and... And, and ha- start and
0: fighting. Has something to say.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that is sort of the purpose of online comments, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I tend not to, well, I do not participate in them, um, but clearly I've provided a lot of different environments where they, where they happen, and anyways, so that's The Blast Project, and you'll all see it soon, and you can learn more about it once, once the website launches, which is in a few weeks. And that website will be at uh, theblast.info. So we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess, the uh, couple articles.
0: Yeah. And so one of them is an anonymous critique of... Anarchist approaches to the media understood as the mainstream media. Oh, culture shock, future fuck yourself, fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Useless information mm-hmm. oh, or, uh,
1: occupies Reopen space inside your skull. You know what's going oh, on, oh, on oh, every day, oh, every oh, night, oh, everywhere's oh, so international. Oh, 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 no. No. Upside down cross mm-hmm. on a jumbotron, wait up. Hold on, oh, oh, blowing that oh, off my pump, say what? Oh, you're wrong, Swiss. They don't buy a starter, flat land of blood, blood of Villain's charter. Speaking of real conversation too slow. The has been taken, and you
0: don't know. You can find it at the Anarchist Library, and we'll include a link. It's pretty short and to the point, punchy, um, Italian in its style. And so they're basically making the point that media plays a central role in capitalist democracy as an ideological apparatus, and they say, quote, The democratic state is able to allow such a broad spectrum of opinion precisely because opinions are basically substanceless. Opinions are ideas that have been drained of all vitality. Separated from life and from any projectual basis, they have become harmless blathering that ultimately strengthens the democratic state by making it appear tolerant and open as compared to feudal or dictatorial states. And go on to say that the way that media does this is to simplify our complex world into little sets of issues or candidates or laws that you can either be for or against, and so it restricts the possibilities of dialogue, restricts the imagination... And um, it also creates this commodity celebrity wealth spectacle that, um, you know, leaves people bewildered and enslaved. And the point of the article, though, is to get at the way that anarchists were engaging with the United States media after the Seattle events and how some people took this on as an opportunity to speak to the masses, to maybe have that uh, metric of success that is number of people who read or hear your ideas, or number of people who might be turned to anarchists. And because this was a... a, before I was even really paying attention to these things, I was wondering if you could comment on what that post-Seattle media experience was like as someone who was already engaged.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of what they're referring to was was this very surreal moment where people who we knew, who maybe even we appreciated and liked, all of a sudden... Were being interviewed on, you know, the Six nightly weeks. news. Well, the the most crass example of this is the sixty minutes interview that basically is an expose on the quote unquote Eugene anarchists, uh, who definitely were sort of accused of of being
0: causing responsible for the people yeah, of Seattle in some way.
1: But but that really like even even on the facts that's a that was an absurd accusation that that was definitely like like the Eugene anarchists benefited from it in terms of notoriety or whatever, but you, you have to count the NGO... You, like, the NGO people made this happen, and there never was a clear expose as to like what the relationships were between the particular NGOs, why the magic happened at that particular event versus I mean, other the events. NGOs
0: were responsible for getting so many people to yeah. come to see yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh.
1: I mean, in other words, the Eugene anarchist couldn't perhaps rightfully be accused of making the smashy happen? But the smashy was only like a part of the game. It, like to the extent to which there were terrified delegates and whatever, and and there was any sort of like material impact on the WTO, it was because of the mass of people, not because of the smashy. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, some people may disagree with me, but I just don't. I I think very few people disagree that the Eugene anarchists were sort of like the you know like capital T cause. Right. Um, you know, David Solnet's version of. Uh, the Battle of Seattle is, is quite different. And David Solnit, if you don't know, he's sort of like <laughs> I, I unfairly will accuse him of being like a, a brown haired you know feminist male sort of guy. Um,
0: he, he, I don't know what brown haired means in that context. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, he's just sort of the kind of person who would look in the eye and you know tell you about like the the, the crimes that the WTO are committing. Okay. okay. Um, uh, but but he, he's also the person who you can very much point to as being responsible for the puppets. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: and so, so in general, his affect is pacifistic, yeah. even if he doesn't exactly describe himself as a pacifist. His, his orientation is towards DIY, you know, good artistic DIY projects. He, he's sort of his, the author of uh, one of the big puppet groups in San Francisco that was active for at least a decade um, the floating mumia that basically existed in almost every protest for that decade is is definitely he, he is the
0: author of that. So put on stunts that are sort of absurd, ridiculing the status quo kind of
1: yeah but but I mean, I would say that you know an aestheticized version right. of how to how to perform protest sure and and the reason why he comes up is because he wrote a book ten years after Seattle, basically saying, this is this was what happened uh-huh. that very much doesn't uh, center the the Eugene anarchists. Is, it, it, sorry, there might you might hear some construction noise behind us today because uh, a house is being torn down. Um, but hopefully you don't hear we're it. Just going to keep going. We're just going <laughs> to keep going. Um, the uh, anyways the, the the point being that, that that there were there were quite different factions with very different motivation involved in the in the Seattle moment and. In the case of anarchists, there was sort of some some way in which they wanted to sensationalize the events on the ground, and many of our friends participated in that sensationalization. And in particular, the sixty Minutes piece, um, you know, and I don't understand why they did it, but but uh, some people we know let the cameras into their house, and so it's lots of like interviews with with male faces staring in the screen, doing a fairly good. Good job of talking about their work, but cut in the entire piece were like you know the crazy ass posters that we all have on our walls, mm-hmm. and and a, a sort of snapshot into a universe that you know from a security culture perspective, or from from a perspective that sort of says that anarchists should stay uh, dangerous, which means stay hidden, was absolute violation of all of that. Yeah,
0: um, I think part of this question devolves at least to me, devolves on this idea of is is everyone or almost everyone or a significant number of people these latent anarchists that just need to be tapped Mm -hmm. and just need to be shown that this way of life is possible, that they're not alone, that they're not crazy for having these ideas, and therefore when they see the 60 minutes thing that does it just come down to this crass cost-benefit analysis where the costs are what you described as you know, anarchists are exposing themselves, anarchists are um, making this pastiche of themselves, but the benefit outweighs it? Because I, I think a lot of people have that perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we've, I we've seen that uh, that some people are want every opportunity to put the ideas out there, and that, and that they maybe see the ideas in the popular culture from the way that Popular movies are so often apocalyptic now or about how, um, you know, where is technology going? And so it's all in the subconscious and it just needs to be brought to the forefront. People go to these movies, these movies are successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually think that, that now is a good time for us to turn this conversation generally towards a critical conversation of ourselves.
0: You're not human, you're
1: a we <laughs> To say that, that what this piece is sort of pointing to—that that I think is an extremely hard question—is, are we committing as as people who participate in media and and in in the case of this podcast, you know, the successful part of this podcast is also the unsuccessful part, which is that we're trying to make uh, we're trying to contextualize the complicated life choices of people who are trying to practice an anarchist life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and <clears throat> the fact that we may seem weak. Or strong are indicators that that our enemies, agents of the of the state, can be participating in as much as our friends can be. In other words, any media project that is accessible to the to the outside world is a security culture violation. Yeah. It, to, to I mean, and that's sort of to to assign like if anarchists are going to be dangerous, they need to be hidden, and that that's a, an assertion. Um, And by that assertion, I mean, uh, I think the best founded critiques of our show and of what we've been doing have been basically that we're we're not doing that.
0: Mm -hmm. And that we are making the anarchist as a media object to be consumed and that it's just this lifestyle philosophy thing that becomes harmless as it becomes a media object. That's
1: a different critique.
0: Um, I mean, we we should talk
1: about that also, but I I, I want to keep the critiques sort of separate. By us talking about what anarchists are doing, Mm -hmm. we're giving information to the enemy. That's critique number one. Critique number two is that by demonstrating what anarchists do, we're demonstrating that anarchists are weak and sort of lame. Mm -hmm. Um, That's critique number two, and I think, you know... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so, and I think that like I think that there is a, a person who is very convinced of, the, of of their perspective who would say that the only valid media projects Anarcha should do is basically broadcast our successful actions, and and there's the IGD version that we've sort of talked about before, but there's also the three two five version, mm-hmm. right? If you look at three anonymous two
0: five,
1: right? Three two five is nothing but anonymous communicates There's no sort of like. And and in general, like it's very hard to name a European anarchist outside of the academy, or perhaps someone who gets arrested in a in a big big way. And that is a very different model than North American, or uh, yeah, than than our anarchism. And <clears throat> and the fact that we're using our names and and we're doing the work that we're doing, you know, I mean, outside of sort of the 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 cultural aspects of it, there are just anarchists that just disagree with doing that. And I think that that's a really interesting. Yeah, I think it's an interesting attack.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it definitely gets at the second critique as well. That if you, if you don't make yourself into a personality, then you can't really become a media object that's to be consumed uh-huh. and deflated and, and turned into just another commodity except the one that happens to be free. Right.
1: Yeah, and I, and I, and I guess I... Perhaps this, this gets at, at, uh, at the stupid question, which is something like, what's nihilist media... And of course, on the one hand, if you describe nihilism as like attack plus, um, then nihilist media is anonymous. The anonymous communicus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's something like what three two five does. Yes, yeah. for sure. Um, I, if if you define nihilism differently, and, and you say that nihilism is the uh, assertion that the revolutionary um, aspects of anarchism or the ways in which it whiffs socialist are, are have a Christian orientation. And rejects that Christian orientation, then that looks like what it is that we're trying to do here,
0: mm-hmm. which is oh, I mean, I think somewhat in, unintentionally a fair amount of the project has been criticizing what a lot of other anarchists are doing, or criticizing the mainstream conception of anarchism within anarchism.
1: Yeah, and and I think the 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 idea that we're portraying weakness, I'm not sure. I guess I've already said that you know I'm, i I feel pretty strongly that that our media should be, not exclusionary, but it should be focused. So, a self-described anarchist in this case. But that that entails the fact that, you know, like, um, there are slow news days <laughs> for anarchism. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's a sign of weakness. Because I think that there's slow news days in the mainstream media, too. And in general, those days are filled with bullshit. And so much so that, you know... Some days that aren't so slow news days are filled with bullshit, and I think that that distinction is important. For instance, there's a story today, um, basically that that compares um, the nihilist street performer from New York City, yeah, um, whose name is all over the place. His name is Kalen. Kalen Sherrard. Um, he compares him with Ted
0: Cruz. It was bizarre, <laughs> absolutely absurd. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, uh, it, I felt like the author halfway through. You could almost feel them realizing that their point wasn't really working, and they just kept going. Yeah, but but uh,
1: that's an example of a slow newsday story. You know, yeah. like um, <clears throat> you know, we're both really familiar with Kalen's work, but. I th- I'm not sure anarchists in general, you know, sort of know who that person is in the yeah, same way that they so might. Know. I don't know
0: that anarchists in general would like. Oh what yeah, he no, does for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: so, is there anything else? Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess um, I, I did want to touch a minute more on the security culture question of you know, does it make sense to have public media and does it make sense to uh, to use names and such? And I, I guess speaking yeah. just from my own experience, I think it would have been. Really difficult for me to get involved in in anarchist projects, or maybe maybe imagining it differently, it would it, it would have gone very differently. I would have had to to sort of start from scratch, and that it was only because of, sort of public anarchist media that it, that involved dialogue that I ever got involved in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because of how atomized we are now, you know, this sort of masters tools question. Has to be taken seriously. That being said, I, I find really nothing disagreeable and, and a lot agreeable about the three-two-five model. That it makes a lot of sense to me. It just seems like different projects with different aims using correspondingly different tactics.
1: Yeah, I mean, it also does, you know, uh, infuse a particular question with some gravitas. Which, and and that question is, are we building? Anarchism as a thing separate from anarchy. So, clearly a project like The Brilliant, we're talking about the anarchist space. We're, you know, from within it, we're, we're sort of not making it sexy, because I'm not sure we're capable of it. But, but I think to, for a certain audience, we are. Um, you know, we're demonstrating that sort of we know things that are happening in our in our local place and in media. And that that sort of a project doesn't really exist in Europe. And I would say that in general, anarchism feels small there in 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 this way. If it, it feels smaller and more serious. In other words, most of the people who I met when I was there, like, were fully committed sort of individuals, but but they definitely weren't spending time talking about things like this. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the U.S., you know, perhaps we are uh, bigger and shallower, um, which of course is a good description of Americans in general,
0: but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so and seriously, and the the anarchy side is weaker in the United States. Yeah, yeah, in terms of people doing things that feel dangerous.
1: Well, definitely, definitely that. I mean, you know, again, like the the way in which the radical tradition, not just anarchism, but the you know, the, there's still a radical tradition in most of Europe that is intact from you know 200 years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. and that is such a huge. I mean, we we cannot imagine being a, in in the yeah, we just can't imagine that in this country. There, are very few people that we know have sort of even ever met uh, an older radical person, um, and most of those people almost, you know, they, they, they a generation skipped before them too. Before you were, if you were going to talk about like the working class movements of the early twentieth right. century, so so it's like it's very hard for me to blame Americans for the for the for the lack of of uh, sort of intact culture that we have because we just don't have it. So so you know what are we to do? And and the people who make proposals that look like you know we just become these h- sort of hard serious people that are um that are disconnected warrior in, in yet yeah warrior culture that's that's di- disconnected even further from each other. You know to me that feels absurd. Or to put it another way, a lot of these answers that that are critical of the work that we're doing um a lot of those answers aren't exactly paying attention to the unforeseen consequences of, of what they're arguing for, which I think mostly looks like becoming warriors in a world where of of sheeple or something, or the fact that America is a social culture, even if that seems
0: weird to say out loud. I want to interrogate with that just that last bit: a social culture. Contrasted with Western Europe, contrasted with Spain or Italy or Greece, in what way?
1: Well, I, I mean, there's a. If you're going generi- to if you're going to talk about Europe generically, you would basically say the Mediterranean cultures are more social than the northern European cultures are. Um, if you go to England, of course, yeah. you know there are human beings in pubs who are "quote unquote" socializing, but um, but there is a way I that I experience American culture that I, I mean, I'm I'm sort of just spitballing this as sort of to, to, Mm -hmm. as a, as a differentiation, but, um, our schooling, Ah. our schooling is less about knowledge absorption and more about now behave kids. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's, it's done so poorly in the last sort of 30 years of talking about school systems has sort of been an exercise in talking about the difference between what schools are supposed to be for and what they functionally are for. Um, I think that, you know, we talked about this in the context of multiculturalism in in past episodes, but there's something about multiculturalism that is about a social experiment or a social assertion that's really different than when you have one culture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in Holland or the Netherlands, you know, you're, you're taught to be Dutch yeah. And there's no negotiation it's what Dutch is. Sure. Sure sure. So so that's that's sort of what I'm trying to get at is is a, a definition of sociability that basically speaks to like how your participation in culture is supposed to be. And in the case of most of Europe, you are the culture full stop. No other option is ever presented right. to you whereas in this culture you know, basically, part of becoming a teenager is deciding which culture right. you're a part of. You know, which which Spice Girl do you choose? Mm-hmm.
0: And that's one way in which the the anarchist identity becomes less a, a warrior identity and more a cultural choice.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, we have we have this very aggressive troll who who is of one mind, and I think his question is very interesting. Um, but it, it basically is, you know, if you're not a warrior culture, if if you're not anarchists fighting against gentrification which is their particular bugaboo then you're just another culture among many mm-hmm. and and while I think that that's absolutely a fair critique I don't think that it's not true in other words, yes we are
0: and what's wrong with that mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which again collapses into the question of what's the metric of success right. um, and maybe this is a way to end the show with some self-criticism of, mm-hmm. of the project. And, and so, you know, when I was, when I started doing free Article radio, um, one of my friends right away, I think we re- we recorded like two episodes or something before we published it and, and played it for some friends. And one friend said, well, what is your audience? Like, I feel like you're talking about all these different things. And, and I thought, well, I guess because at that time I, I had really, um, been coming from this place of saying, you know, I want, I've, I'm hanging around these activist anarchists, and like what I want is maximalist anarchism. And so a lot of it ended up being talking about world events and then sort of criticizing attempts to deal with those horrible things that were happening in the world, whether it was a, a, from a liberal perspective or a conservative perspective or an anarcho-leftist perspective mm-hmm. and so on. And so a lot of it was sort of, here's the problem, and here's why all these things that people are doing, to try to reconcile this problem suck, and you know, what we should be for is anti-civ anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so I had a, a pretty clear idea of what I was doing with the show, whereas with uh, I guess my criticism of this show is that I feel like I never fully had a, a, a goal in mind, and a lot of it ended up being this sort of talking about the anarchist space, which is not something I set out to do. And so I guess I could say a criticism of this is that it was never that purposive and felt like a lot of wandering, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely different from what I'm used to doing. And I think I had some trouble knowing exactly what I wanted to do, you know, in the middle of an episode because of that wandering.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm a pretty convinced
0: anarchist space person. I feel as though the,
1: you know, basically that, that, those who choose to be warriors, those who choose to identify themselves within the context of being attack, attack all the time. I feel as though those people are best offended by there being a large, healthy, vibrant, and not singular anarchist space. And so I, so I guess I'm a bit more uh, projectual in the in the context of making that argument than than you are. And um, and I I decry the fact that. That let's say, for example, the Bay Area anarchist space is so fragmented and and disjointed. I, and I think that part of the reason why is because the warriors have uh, think that they can accomplish all their social and political needs on their own. And I just think that they're wrong. And um, but I want to gently bring them back.
0: It's interesting because you're portraying them as the divisive ones, whereas I think they absolutely would portray, use the divisive ones yeah, for criticizing right. And they're wrong. <laughs> I mean,
1: and, and that is that is an, an ancient uh, disagreement, sort of the accusation that the quote-unquote armchair anarchists are, um, are the problem. I mean, to put it another way, and this is sort of a personal, maybe to end on a personal note, if I'm talking about you, I, I care for you. The people I don't care for are the people who I don't talk about at all. Which, there is a very long list of people within the broad, broadly stated anarchist space who we're who not talking about, who I'm not talking about. Uh, you know, who maybe I'll mention to be, to be honest about a, a particular context or something, but otherwise I, I don't talk about them because I just don't care about their project. Um, and, and by which I mean I don't care about the political project that they're working towards. The, uh, the, the hope blockers come to mind. Right. sure, sure. Um, you know whereas whereas my heart is is sort of you know with the Warriors I mean I, I to some extent feel like an, an an old person when I have this conversation but but uh, but at this point you know I have to accept that yeah that the, their perspective is sort of um, is hostile to
0: being referred mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. so Thank you for listening to The Brilliant. This is episode 29. Um, We recorded these 29 in short succession, I think, basically every week. And um, by the time you hear this, we will have gone our separate ways. um, And then we're going to be figuring out what the show looks like going forward, which I think we will post about on the site once we are aware. And as always, you can email us at at org. Thanks for listening.